family members in the family of God. Um, it should be a lot of fun, and it's going to start in two weeks. So today, though, we're going to talk about what it means to reach intentionally. So since summer, we've been working through Central's rule of life. Uh, it's the patterns that we use for our mission. And uh, at this point, you all have this memorized, right? Unless you're a visitor with us. Um, they are, of course, growing spiritually, connecting relationally, uh, serve regularly, uh, give generously. We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks. And finally, to reach intentionally. So this week and next, we're going to talk about what it means to reach intentionally. And in some ways, this one might be one of the hardest, uh, at least for me. And all of the other ones have their challenges, but stepping out of my comfort zone uh, to meet new people in the community and to invite them to follow Jesus, to reach out intentionally beyond my current circle is, uh, is sometimes difficult. What we're talking about here is evangelism. And, and, and this, is, this is how I view evangelism in the church. Most people want to see evangelism happen. I mean, like when you think about it, like you want to see new people experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Like that's something you want. You just want someone else to do it. <laughs> like we want to see it happen. We just don't want to be the ones who have to do it. And, and, and that's for me, as someone who is just barely an introvert, the idea of sharing my faith or meeting strangers is kind of an anxious thing for me. In fact, uh, we've been talking a lot about the church plant, and this is something that me and Alyssa have been praying about for a couple of years. But there's one part of it that's made me really nervous and a little anxious. It was this idea of having to just go and meet a bunch of people who don't go to church already. And that idea, as someone who's a little bit more introverted, um, was uh, at times even paralyzing. And so I've spent a lot of the last couple years uh, praying and thinking about what it means to get outside of my comfort zone and to share my faith and, and to invite people to follow Jesus. And, and, and so what I've found is, is that God has offered me um, a model that is actually life-giving. And so one of the things that I've been most nervous about has actually become my favorite part of the church planning process. So if you're an introvert or if you find sharing your faith or inviting people to church to be something that creates a little anxiety in your life, I want to offer this model to you as well. It's a model that Jesus taught his disciples. It's not the only model for sharing your faith, but it's a pretty good one since Jesus taught it. And um, if, if you find this, a little, this part of our faith a little uncomfortable, I hope that you can get something out of it as well. So we're going to look at it, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, go there. Now, in Luke 9, before Luke 10, Jesus sends his, sends his disciples on mission. And then the next chapter, he gathers an even larger group of people and sends them on mission. So he's going to give them instructions for what it means to go into a new community to reach new people, right? He's going to show them what it means to reach out intentionally, and we're going to look at it. So Luke 10, starting with verse 1, says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him, to every town and place where he was about to go. So much stuff in this verse that I won't have time to unpack at all, but the part I want to focus on is this. He appointed 72 people and sent them two by two ahead of him. In our Christian life, there are two invitations that Jesus makes to us. Two invitations. The first one is to be where Jesus is already. It's the invitation to know God. It's the invitation to be in relationship with Jesus. When Jesus first gathered his disciples, he said, come and be with me. Come and follow me. That's the first invitation. But the second invitation that Jesus offers us is first to be where he is already. The second one is to go where he isn't yet. 
So the first one is an invitation. The second one is a commission. And this isn't something that he's hid uh, from anyone. Right from the beginning, Matthew 4, 19, he says this. He's, telling, he's recruiting his first disciples, and he says what? Come and follow me. Be where I am. This is our invitation too. First to know Jesus and to be with one another. But then he says, he goes on, and I will send you out. First invitation to come and the second invitation to be sent. So when we talk about what it means to grow spiritually and connect relationally, we're talking about the invitation to be in community with one another and to be with Jesus. But when we talk about reaching intentionally, it's that second part. And I bring this up because I know that many of us, and I'm right with you, have accepted the first invitation but not the second. The invitation to be with Jesus and we love Jesus and we want to be in community and we like community, but the invitation or the commission or the command to go is difficult. So this is the mission he's sending his disciples on verse 2. He says this. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. He's saying that there is so much work to be done. He's using agricultural metaphors. And there's so much work to be done, more than you can do by yourself. So we need to pray and ask that God will raise up more and more people to accomplish this work. And I've read this passage actually a number of times in my life, but I've never really noticed its context. You see, he says that we need more workers, but when you look at it, they were actually doing pretty good. He's not exactly short of people. I mean, in chapter 9, he sends 12 people out on mission. In chapter 10, he sends 72. That's a 500% increase. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Like, and imagine if you were the disciples, and so you had gone on this mission trip, you had gone, you were sent out by Jesus himself, and you have a good time, it's, it, it's difficult, and in fact, in chapter 9, they don't always accomplish it according to how Jesus wants, but you know, you struggle and you figure it out, and now your mission team has gone from 12 to 72. Imagine if that was our problem with Matani de Luz, we wouldn't know what to do. It's exciting. And Jesus gathers together his group of 72 people. There's momentum, there's enthusiasm, and he's going to give him their, his big motivational pregame speech, right, before he sends them out, and this is what he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's probably about 72 people in this room, actually, somewhere around that. And he says to all of you, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the workers are few? A little more, a little less. TJ, what do you think? 42. I was way off. <laughs> so more people than what's in this room right now, right? And he says, not enough. Oh, I think we struggle with this because we've accepted the first invitation to be with Jesus, and we're like, okay, 72 is great. Let's join together. Let's be in community. And Jesus says, not enough. It works too much. You mean the work is more than just 72 people or 43 people can accomplish or 300 people can accomplish? Yeah. The, the work that God is interested in accomplishing is, is bigger than any one church or bigger than any one group of people or any one gathering of 72 people. You see, when Jesus is sending them out to not only, he's, he's sending them out to not only reach new people, and this is important, he's sending them out to invite new people to join Jesus on the mission to seek out future workers. That's a shift in how we understand evangelism. We're actually inviting people to be on the mission with us. So if you think, 
that you can do what God is calling you to do on your own without other people, without a community, you're wrong. In fact, I believe that God never calls the church to do something that they can accomplish with the resources they currently have. This is how A.W. Tozer says it. Paul shared this on Facebook, actually, and it wasn't in the sermon until he shared it on Facebook, but I thought it was so appropriate. He says, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we plan only things we can do ourselves. And so the mission that God sends us on always requires more people. And so when we head on mission, we're always inviting more people to join the mission, which means if your mission in life doesn't involve inviting other people to be a part of it, it's too small. He's going to explain to them how they go about recruiting more people on the mission uh, in verse 5. He says this. He says, he, he says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there if it rests on them, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, the idea of speaking peace to a house or to a person was a, was a common greeting in their time. And, uh, but through Jesus, it actually took greater significance in the early church because Jesus came to preach the gospel of peace. So on the one hand, Jesus is telling them, hey, go, well, you know, go say hello to people, and if they're friendly, you know, then you know they could be potential partners in ministry. But on the other hand, on a deeper level, Jesus is talking about the actual meaning of peace, the gospel of peace, that, that Jesus came to bring peace to an over, this overwhelming sense of well-being to the world. So, in a sense, when you speak peace to a house, you are inviting them to be a part of God's mission of peace. And they either receive that blessing or not. It, it's like, if you've ever been excited about something and you're talking with somebody and, and they share the excitement and it's a really life-giving conversation, you're looking for those people. Now, have you ever been excited about something and, and the person just kind of like is super cynical and just shoots it all down and doesn't want to have anything to do with it? Jesus basically says, and he goes on and later in this chapter, he says, the people who really receive what you're trying to do well, partner with those people. That's a no-brainer. And the people who don't receive what you're all about, don't worry about it. He says, shake off the dust. Move on. That's what he's saying. So he's looking for what, what the thing actually says, children of peace or a person of peace. Those people who jump on board with what you're doing. So that's the first step. And so he sends them on this mission. So going to verse 8, he says this. This is what the mission is going to look like. Verse 8. When you enter a town and are welcomed, so you've found that person of peace, someone who's on board with what you're about. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, here's what he says to do. Eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So this is Jesus' evangelism strategy. Once you've found somebody who's willing to have the conversation, right? They're comfortable with you. Step one eat what is offered. Step two, heal the sick. Step three, tell them the kingdom of God is near. So yes, the first step in Jesus' evangelism strategy is to eat with people. And you thought this was going to be hard. It's not so bad. It comes with some perks. It sounds a little strange, but it's actually really, really important. In fact, this might be one of the most important parts. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on it than the other two, because he doesn't say go and eat with people. He says eat what is offered. Jesus is telling them to accept, without pride or apprehension, the gift of hospitality from other people. 
Now, this was bigger than just eating what you didn't like. Jesus isn't telling them, hey, if you don't like mushrooms and someone serves you mushrooms, it's polite to eat the mushrooms. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking to a particularly Jewish audience. And what you ate meant something. And you weren't supposed to eat other things. And you associated with people who ate what you ate. And who you were willing to eat at a table with was significant. And for Jews, one of the biggest cultural and religious barriers, and still is, is what you eat. And, and depending on who it was, you might not even be in relationship. So the Old Testament law was so clear on what they were allowed to eat and what they weren't allowed to eat. So when Jesus tells them to go into a community to reach people, and to eat what is offered, he's basically saying this. He's saying that your relationship with those people you meet is more important than the Old Testament laws of what you're allowed and not allowed to eat. And that's actually really radical. But reaching new people was that important to Jesus. Now this has extremely big implications for our day and age. Because, friends, we're not offended by what people eat. That's, most of us aren't. But we are offended by a lot of other things. A lot of other controversial issues. So when Jesus says, eat what is offered, he's saying, when you meet someone new, and they're willing to help, they're, they're, they're receptive of your, of your message, of your mission that you're on, but you find out something about them that makes you uncomfortable, something you disagree with or something that you don't understand or something you didn't expect, something that you would usually result in you leaving the relationship. I don't want to be, a, I don't I want to associate with those people. Jesus says, don't do that. That they might still have a role in what God is trying to accomplish. So stay in the conversation and eat what is offered. See what happens. Because here's the thing, someone doesn't need to agree with you live the way you do, share the same political views as you to serve God with you. The only requirement for serving God is, are they willing? If you think about it, this really is an extremely radical idea, especially this week. But I say this to make an important point. When Jesus told his group of Jewish disciples to go into towns and to meet new people and to share a meal with them, to simply eat what is offered, laying aside years and years of religious and cultural practice, it was pretty radical. And it was for one purpose, that the people who are willing, even if imperfect, would join together to promote the gospel of peace, that God's kingdom would be lived out literally around a dinner table. That even amongst people who we disagree with, we would sit and we would fellowship with one another. And that's only possible if you're willing at every once in a while to eat what is offered, even if it has mushrooms. Even if you don't like it. To receive the hospitality. You know, People often talk about faith and evangelism as something that's being shoved down someone's throat. Have you ever heard that expression? You know, it's shoved down someone's throat. What I love about Jesus' model is, is, is the one who's being sent doesn't shove anything down someone's throat. It's actually the opposite. The one who's being sent eats what's offered, whether they like it or not, for the sake of the mission. That's step one. 
eat what is offered. Step two, heal the sick. Now, we don't all have the chance to be a part of someone's miraculous healing, um, uh, but I think Jesus is talking about something bigger here. What he's saying is before you proclaim the kingdom, you need to demonstrate it. Uh, you, you, before you say anything, you, you need to be first attend to the needs that are in front of you. So if people are sick, you pray for them. If people are hurting, you comfort them. The, the purpose of God's mission isn't just to proclaim God's truth. It's to live as people who belong to God's community and care for other people who love them, regardless of what's going on in their life. And I love this because when you go into an outreach event or even a conversation with someone new and you have the, the, an honest desire to care for them, you want what's best for them. That's, that's your motivation. You want what's best for them. Now, we know accepting God's grace is what's best for them, but there's a lot of other things that are good for them too. And you go into it with that desire, it, it, it can remove all of the awkwardness of reaching new people. Because we're not here to do a sales pitch or to convince anyone of a particular doctrine. We just want to see that they're cared for and that they're prayed for and, and, and that they know that there's a community that exists that's willing to love them for who they are and share with them the same life-changing power that Jesus has done in our lives. And I think this can change our entire tone of our evangelism or our intentional reaching of people. So we need to ask ourselves this, though. Do you believe that God's healing power, that God's wisdom, that God's truth, that God's work that has played out in your life, that that work of God is also available to people who don't know him yet. That God is still very much alive and well in this world and that the ways in which God has impacted your life is available to other people. Because once we begin to think about it like that, the opportunity to invite people to join the mission is actually rather exciting. That's step two, heal the sick. Address the needs that are in front of you. So then step, step three, proclaim. Tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Here's what it looks like. Me and Alyssa have been meeting with people who might be interested in joining the church, and we're kind of following this model. We're spending some time together. We're eating what's offered and engaging in people's real lives and then, you know, attending to the needs and then casting vision for what God wants to do in the church and stuff. And, and, uh, and, but once we get done with the conversation, one of the things I'm not doing is ending by saying, oh, and by the way, the kingdom of God has drawn near to you because that might sound strange, but it would be true. Because here's the thing, in all of these conversations that we've had with people, as we interact with, there's always been these moments, moments where their passion lines up with ours, moments where their willingness to serve is so inspirational, moments where they share a story about how they were really, really struggling with something, and they knew they needed to go back to church, and then the next day we emailed them to talk about a church plan, and they just knew it was a God thing. There's these moments in, in the conversation, and when we experience those moments, you know what I say? I say, this is what it's all about. Because here's the thing, the invitation to be a part of God's mission is one thing, but the actual process of inviting people is God's mission. Like the community that happens as we are in relationship with one another, as we invite people to serve God and to know God and to grow in faith is part of the mission. And it's exciting. And, and when that happens, God's kingdom has drawn very near and we're experiencing it around a table. Here's what I love about church planning. Church planning isn't just about reaching new people. It's not just about outreach and evangelism. It's really about gathering a group of people into a new community who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus on mission. 
And this has been true for every facet of the world. Over the last couple of years, as I've prayed about being a church planter, I've read about as many books as I can read um, on church planting. I've studied various church planting movements um, around the world and throughout history. And and then I study the Bible, and I look at this model that Jesus gives us out of Luke 10, and I look at the stories and acts, and you know what? They follow the same model over and over again. Somebody's called, God sends them. They go to a new community, they look for those persons of peace, people who are God has already prepared to receive them and join them on the mission. They have conversations, they pray, and a small community is built. And not a community that exists just so they can gather their 72 and be comfortable, but a community that once again is going out two by two and impacting the world. And so a lot of people have questions about the church plant. People wanna know if we're gonna buy a building. Short answer, uh, not anytime soon. They want to know if we're going to rent a building. Short answer, probably. They want to know where that building's going to be. I have no idea. They want to know uh, where the money's coming from. Well, some of you know where that's coming from. <laughs> but also our conference is, is, is sponsoring this as well as some other individuals. They want to know about small groups. They want to know about children's ministry. And all of these are really legitimate questions. But my question is far simpler right now, and it's this. Who are those persons of peace that God is already preparing to be a part of the mission that God is sending us on? And the same is true for an existing church, not just a church plant. The same is true for Central. Who is God already preparing in Athens, in this wider community, to be a part of what God is doing here? You know, when we begin to think about it like that, inviting people to church, if you invite someone to church, they might just become the one person we need to further accomplish our mission. They might be the missing piece. It's kind of exciting. Now, of course, when we invite someone to church, they might not come and they might laugh at us or they might dismiss it. Um, And Jesus talks about how to deal with rejection in this passage. I'll let you read it on your own. But the idea of inviting people to be a part of God's mission should be an exciting thing. So right now, that's what me and Alyssa are doing with the church plant. We're sitting down with as many people who let us and we're sharing a vision and we're talking about uh, what God has laid on our hearts and invited to be part of it. So I thought uh, as we close the service today, um, we would pretend like we're in your living room or at a coffee shop and share with you what we've been sharing with people already. Would that be all right? It means Alyssa gets to talk. So yeah. So normally um, we would, you know, we'd meet for coffee. We've done this probably about, how many times have we done this? I'm really bad with numbers. We've done like five Ten times, something like that, and uh, we we get over. We either go in their living room, and sometimes they make us dinner, and that's always a blessing. Or sometimes we get coffee. In fact, we just met with Brian's uh, daughter, who's at OSU, and it was awesome. I don't mean to point you out there, Brian, but <laughs> I know you. I know you love to be pointed out, and um, and uh, it was great. So we sit down and um, we talk. Yeah. So at this point, we'd uh, be chatting with you with like, what's going on in your life. Uh, if you're going to a church, what, what that's like, um, how good the food is, if you made it, or uh, what kind of coffee you got, if that's where we're at. Um, and then Joe would jump into uh, kind of transition the conversation to kind of our vision of what God is calling us to do in Columbus. So. It was like five years ago that I became a pastor, and um, I knew pretty early on that um, after experiencing role as a pastor, that not only was it was what I was created for, but that God was working in my heart to not just be a pastor, but be a church planner. So probably about four years ago, I began to explore this call. 
And the thing that really excites me is I just want to see communities transformed. And I know that communities are transformed when people are transformed. And that the best place for personal transformation is in a, in a, is in a church. And that God is using churches to transform. Not all churches. In fact, there are a lot of people in our world who have been really hurt by church. The vast majority of people who don't go to church anywhere went to church at one point, which means something. They either found it irrelevant or they found it really hurtful, like they were burnt by it in some way. Um, and then everyone, if they've never been to church, generally in our society, the view of Christianity is similar. They either view Christianity as bad or as just irrelevant. So in a lot of ways, that's kind of our heart, is we want to provide a church for people who, who have kind of either irrelevant or limited experience with, uh, with the church or with Christianity, be a safe place. Similar to uh, um, the church that's sending us, Central, um, that is really a safe place for people who've struggled. So we really have a heart for reaching new people. Um, we want to be a, a church that has college students and that has family members. Um, and so we're really kind of looking at being, uh, we're not sure of the location yet. That'll be decided pretty quick um, in the next couple of weeks. But we're really hoping that we'll definitely be in Columbus, and we're really hoping it'll be near Ohio State University, at least within driving distance, so we can be a church that is intergenerational. Um, so with that in mind, we, we do have a name for the new church start. Um, so for the reveal, it is going to be called Central City Church. Huh? An OU student designed that, and uh, he does a lot of our graphic design here, and I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The plan is actually pretty simple. So first, we just want to meet new people. Uh, it really comes out of this passage in Luke 10. I don't know if you guys have ever read it before, um, where Jesus sends people into a community to, uh, to find those persons of peace that God is preparing people already to be a part of our launch team. And so we're just trying to meet with it and chat with as many people as we can. Um, people who might join us on the mission and be a part of the church plant, as well as people who just might help us understand the context, who might help us understand what it's like to minister in Columbus. So our goal is to build, um, and then the second is we'll build a launch team, and our goal is to build a launch team of about 30 to 50 people, um, or really hopefully 50, but 30 would be the minimum. Um, we're, we're about, uh, from the conversations we've had, we have 15 people, so uh, we're pretty excited. We're definitely on the way to doing that. Um, then next, this will all be happening next year in 2017. So by the summer, we're going to be launching preview services. They're kind of like soft openings for new churches, um, sort of like with a restaurant or something like that. So they'll just be once a month and it'll give us a chance to kind of invite people to something, but it won't be every week. So we'll be able to spend the majority of our time once again, still meeting people and holding outreach events and stuff. Those will happen just probably about three months in a row, once a month. And then in the fall of 2017, we'll hopefully launch weekly services. Um, which should be pretty exciting. So at that point, we would probably engage them in conversation, specifically around Columbus, what they think a good location would be and what they think a great church in Columbus would look like and just kind of ask them questions for feedback on what they would love to see happen. And then Alyssa would jump in. And I would try not to interrupt her. <laughs> which she does. But I, I will. <laughs> yeah, get ready. Um, so... I'm really excited about this church plant. We've been um, thinking and praying about this for the last four years, like you said. And so last year I was listening to a church planting podcast and uh, the church planner being interviewed was talking about how they didn't have enough space where they currently were and uh, they needed a new building. So they had found one that they, that they felt God was calling them and like 
telling them to pursue this particular building. And so they put in some offers, they were doing some negotiating, they tried to make some connections that uh, would enable them to get this building, and it fell through after months of, of going through this process. And for like one or two years, they, um, they were tr still trying to find a new location, and, uh, but, but all the while they were praying about this building because they really, they continued to feel like God was calling them to be in this building. And so they prayed and waited. And after, I think it was around two years, the owner came to them one day. They didn't go back to him. He came to them and uh, he just gave them the building. You know, there was probably something, you know, they probably still had to pay rent or something like that. But, um, but he just gave them the building. And I just remember her saying, we had to fully rely on God. We didn't know what that next step was. We didn't know where we were going to be. Um, but we had to fully rely on God. And because everything that they had tried failed, but once they kind of left it to God, um, that's when it happened. And I've longed for so long for this type of reliance on God. Like my whole life, I've just known, well, I can put it on the credit card if something happens, or I know I can call this person and they can help me. Like, I have all these resources in place that I've never really had to have this reliance on God. But with church planning, um, it really opened my eyes that anything that we do, it isn't good. Like, it's not enough. Like, God still has to step in and take us to that next step. And so that's what I'm really excited about, that we have this opportunity to be able to, to fully rely on God. Um, in, in what, whatever we do, the people that we meet, our location, all of that. Um, and we've already seen that in the stories and with the people that we've met. We know that God is working in this. Um, obviously, too many stories to tell this morning. But, yeah, so we're excited to see what God is up to in, in Columbus and what he's going to do through each of um, us who choose to fully rely on him, whether that's here at Central and in Columbus. Um, so on the back of your update that you got this morning, um, we have the, normally have this really cool cardstock, color printed thing, but you guys get to, you get to tear off. <laughs> so on the back of your tear off um, are some next steps that we see as potential uh, varying levels of support for this new church start that people here in Athens can participate in. Um, so depending on what you decide, we'll be able to follow up with you later um, with these different um, next steps of support, but I just want to talk through, I even wrote in my notes, this is the part where Joe would interrupt me, which he already did. Um, but anyway, so, so I just want to it's, talk it's through each of those steps, uh, here this morning with you. Um, she loves me though. <laughs> um, so Joe keeps using this metaphor. Um, we just had a baby and, he'd usually uh, be crying right now or something, but he's over there with Hattie. She's great with him. So, um, but babies are, they have to, they have to prepare for being a real human being. So for nine months, they're in there, they're like, all their systems are coming into place and um, like growing organs and stuff so that when they come out, they're mostly a fully human functioning human being. I say mostly because he's not and it's <laughs> frustrating, but um, so that's kind of our church plant. Uh, that's kind of our process right now is that we're developing the systems and the processes um, over the next six to nine months so that when we launch our services in the fall, we'll mostly be a fully functioning church where when people walk in, we'll have greeters and we'll have a band and we'll have um, ways to collect data and that kind of thing. So that's our process over the next six to nine months. And um, so as our sending church, uh, here's some ways that that you guys can help us build those systems. 
Um, I'm going to start on the far right side of the tear-off, and we're going to work our way backwards. Um, so, yeah. So, Joe talked about preview services. Next summer, we're hoping to, to have some, uh, like he said, soft, like soft launch services, uh, three to four of those. And we're inviting anyone and everyone to come to a preview service, which means you guys, too. We don't know where those are going to be or when they're going to be yet. Um, but you guys will, will know. And uh, having a good group of people worshiping helps create momentum, uh, especially for new people who are coming in. Like if you see an empty room with like five people that can hold 100, it's like, well, nothing's really going on here. I'm not going to come back. But if you have a good group of people, we like to call them just warm bodies because, uh, yeah, it just gives momentum and helps feel, guests feel like there's something going on. So this is a way that you guys uh, could come up and visit us and see what's going on in, in the new church. Um, many of you most likely know someone who lives in Columbus. And uh, at this stage, like you said, we're just trying to meet with anyone, everyone we can to talk about the new church, to talk about what's already going on in, in Columbus, where they see God is moving, uh, churches in Columbus, um, what a good church in Columbus might look like. And even just locations, like what's the feel of this location over this location and how we might fit into that. And so um, we would love to get connected with the people that you know. And so if you mark that tear off or that checkbox um, and you want to send us a list of names or maybe it's students who went to OU who maybe know Central, maybe it's family members or colleagues that have moved there, um, we would just love to meet with, with anybody that you know. Um, and next, we can't do anything without prayer. Like I said, like this whole process is fully relying on God. And so we're asking everyone we know to pray with us uh, for this, this endeavor that God's called us to. And in January, we're going to have a uh, prayer email. Um, so it'll go out twice a week for about five weeks. And um, it just has some specifics of what you can pray with us about. Um, like location and leadership, that kind of thing. And so we'd love to have you guys on that email list if you want to mark that on your tear-off. Um, you can get that prayer journal, but also throughout the process we'll be sending out specific ways as we go along that, that you can pray with us about. And even before then, we love for your prayers. Um, just for the people that we meet between now and January, um, for the start of the launch, for our location, stuff like that, ways you can pray for us. Um, we also have an email list that uh, we send updates regularly about, well, they haven't been regular yet, but they're starting to be <laughs> now that we know what we're doing. We don't have a communication team yet, but we're working on yeah. it. <laughs> uh, we are the communication team and everything else. Um, so, so we're... Sign up my son. <laughs> he's he's kind of good at computers already. Um, but we'd love for you guys to keep up to date on what's going on with the church plant. Um, I think we're, we're going to be sending one out this, later this week about um, praying about the location and some people that we met, that kind of thing. And so we'd love for you guys to stay up to date. And you can um, check that tear-off. And on the, so not on that side of the tear-off, but on the other side of the tear-off, there's a place for you to write your email address. That would be helpful in order to get the emails. would be having your email address. <laughs> um, there's also a place on Central's website. There's not right. There's room. Oh, okay. There is a place on that side. Sorry, I haven't. I didn't actually look at it. Oops. Um, but I think there's a place on Central's website where you can sign up for the email list. Just use the tear off. Okay. Easier. Whatever. <laughs> you can talk to us if you miss the tear off. Anyways, so we we would love to. At this point, we would kind of 
get your feedback on where you're looking to support. Um, obviously, we can't go around to everyone and what, you, what you're thinking, and that's why we have a tear-off. But um, we'd love to, to hear from you more. If you want to catch one of us um, later, we would love to talk to you and just hear what God is doing in your life and where God is uh, maybe where you're sensing God move with this church plant. Um, so we're de- we'll definitely follow up with you with, um, with this tear-off. But at this point, we'd ask, you know, what, what we could be praying for you about. Again, we can't go around everyone, but uh, we would love to just close our time here this morning by praying with you. So. Yeah, if you have any questions, um, you know, there's probably a number of questions about how it's going to look and, and feel. Um, just FYI, we're, we're going to be a part of, um, you know, we'll be still in Athens through, through uh, half of 2017. We'll be working from a distance, so just you know, just so you know, it won't be till the summer that we probably move. And there's probably other questions around timeline and stuff. But um, let's pray. Yeah.